0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ad Nerdium. I am your host, Patrick Salerno, and today with me is a wonderful friend of mine. She is an author. Uh, she's been so for 20 years, has written over 50 books. Uh, she's published under the names Kate McLaughlin, Kate Kessler, and Kate Locke, among a few others. Kate, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing so great. It's been so long since we've chatted. I'm so happy to be here with you. This is it- fabulous. Thank you for inviting me.
0: It is my pleasure. Uh, We're here to celebrate writing with NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And I couldn't think of anyone better, especially after hearing that total count that you have, 50 books, that is very impressive. And we're gonna be talking about a few things today, uh, mainly character, understanding character, and characterization. First, however, Um, why don't you tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself, about your writings, about the kind of writings that you do?
1: Oh, God. Okay. Um, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I discovered my love for story when I was about eight years old, and I'm not going to take you up chronologically (laughs) because that's still a long time. My third grade teacher got all of us to write just a very short little, you know, one page, half a page kind of thing, and then she read them to the class. And I remember that everybody laughed where I wanted them to. And they clapped at the end. Now, of course we were eight years old. We clapped for everybody, but I remember this feeling of, I like this. I want more of it. And that's when I actively started pursuing it. And I I actually wrote my first book when I was 12. Wow. Yes. It was 372 handwritten pages about a rock band that sounded suspiciously like Duran Duran Um, (laughs) and it was it's all I've ever wanted to do and so then I think I was in my 20s um, and had been working a dead-end retail job and lots of customer service and um, the man I later had the good sense to marry said to me why don't you just quit and go back to school because of course we were in Canada and university was obscenely cheap at the time Mm. so I did And I went back to university to get uh, my bachelor's and I already had a journalism degree. And so I went back to get my, my bachelor's in English. And, um, so I just filled myself up with all these just beautiful classes that I just wanted to take for me and, and research and more than anything else. And while I was there, um, I started writing a romance novel. And and the, romance is one of those genres that gets a bad rap. But the thing about romance, if you are a character-driven author, it's actually one of the best things you can write because that's it's all about relationship. Mm. A lot of people think it's all about the sex, but that's not it. Because romance <laughs> runs a gamut from being very sweet and no sex to you know, 50 shades of gray (laughs) and, but it, but it is all about relationships and that's what got me, I think, really hooked into, into character. And while I was at university, I wrote and sold my first book. I sold it just a week shy of my 28th birthday Hmm. and have been doing it ever since. And so, yes, I've written, You know, I I average a couple of books a year, I guess, um, or a few books a year. So I've written over 50 books. Everything I've written since then has been published. If I've finished it, it's been published. And I have. I've written uh, romance. I've written sci-fi fantasy. I've written uh, thrillers. I've written young adult. Um, The only thing I haven't written yet is a Western, and I'm not saying no to that, because I would. (laughs) (laughs) if the opportunity arose yeah i'm just i just love story um but more than that i love the people
0: well let's talk about your your process for a little bit then uh as a whole you know having gone through this uh 50 times i'm sure more on the way
1: currently i'm actually doing Nano nanowrimo for the first time in my wow. life because i used to joke hey every month is nano <laughs> Me, right? Um, but this is the first time I'm, I'm actively taking part in it to finish a book that needs to be that I just signed the contract for. And it actually needs to be done by December 15th, thereabouts. thereabouts <laughs> Christmas. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this because if I can get 50,000 words written in November, that gets me pretty close to the end.
0: I did not know that that's perfect timing then. And we're meeting actually the day before I know this is going to come out about a week from now. So you're just about getting ready to start that process then because we're meeting October 31st. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the process of writing and what it is that you do kind of a broad sense when you get to that table for the first time.
1: You mean like the pre-work? Yeah. So I always start generally, 95% of the time, I start with a person in my head and then an idea of what I want to do to them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's so nefarious. But um, for, for, so for my current book, well, I'll use that as an example. Um, back in June, I had a book come out under the Kate McLaughlin pen name. It was a young adult uh, from Wednesday Books called What Unbreakable Looks Like. And it's about a teenage girl who was human trafficked. And I won't even make the joke about it being a little light reading because uh, it's not. Mm. Uh, it's a very heavy topic. My husband had come home from work one day and said, Have you heard about this human trafficking? problem in the U S and and I said, no. And so he was the one that got me into it. And I knew it was something I wanted to write about. And I wanted to write about a girl that had been, had this happened to her, but had come out of it, you know? So then I started the research. So I watched the documentary. I am Jane Doe on Netflix is where I started. And that's where I found out about the horrible, horrible back page, which was a place where people were selling people. Mm-hmm. That, that's the nicest way I can put it. And I had a friend or an acquaintance here that I had met through a thriller writing group. And I said to her, Do you know any police that I could talk to about this? Well, she knew a female detective who had actually been on the state anti trafficking task force. And I talked to her. And then through her, I met a girl who had been trafficked, and I became, because she liked to write, and I became her mentor. And then I got the first hand view of what happens to these girls. Mm-hmm. And my character just, you know, and the book just grew from there. But it started with just that idea. And then it became, you know, a huge part of my life and still is, and and is still one of those things that I want to raise awareness about. But, you know, meeting meeting that girl really helped me flesh out my character. But my character of Lex in the book is not... You know, is not the girl I meant. So that was the process for that one. Sometimes, you know, uh, a song lyric will spark some kind of idea. I'm like, what about a person who does this, or what about somebody who does this? But it's it's usually always the person, yeah, rather than the than the situation. So I'm not so much what you would call high concept, or if I am, it still has to be within the in the confines of character. It's it's where it all starts for me.
0: It seems that there is this almost relationship that you're, you're building with this person in your head and on, on these pages to, uh, to start with. And that in many cases, as is with the the example you gave, real relationship is where you draw some inspiration from.
1: Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, it can be. And, and sometimes, yeah, like sometimes um, I have three older sisters. And so sometimes I'll hear from them saying, uh, oh, I caught a little bit of so-and-so uh, in this book. And I'm like, no, I wasn't thinking about that person. And and But then sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, I totally was thinking of that person. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, particularly for a series that I wrote under Kate Kessler, the, the book It Takes One was set in this fictional main small town, which was actually based on the fictional small town where I grew up. And, or, well, I didn't grow up in a fictional small town. Uh, grew up in a small town. And so there were some characters that were you know that were very familiar, and some that were uh, uh, amalgamations of of real life people, and then others that were completely made up. But I find, I find that creating a person in my head, you know, you people make that kind of assumption, like, oh, being a writer is like being God. And I guess maybe in some way, because you do get to make people, and and worlds, and and that kind of thing. There is something very satisfying about being able to create you know, life in your imagination mm. and then just be able to watch this person bloom and, and get to know them because, you know, they start off, you know, you know, some stuff about them. And then as you're writing them, they, they reveal more and more and more. And of course, yeah, I am very interested in, in how they relate to other people. And one of my favorite things to write is, you know, scenes where they're from the point of view of somebody who doesn't necessarily like the character.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I love to write that kind of stuff because I, I, there's nothing more boring to me than a completely likable character. Yeah, uh, I would much rather write about somebody that fascinates me than you
0: know, is nice. <laughs> so um, which has gotten me into trouble. I sometimes. mean, it seems what what I'm noticing and what I find fascinating is what you said about getting to know them. Um, oh, yeah. when you When you think about the writing for maybe other kind modes of storytelling, film or TV, It's a lot of plot lines and trying to kind of make A and B meet each other somewhere. But when you hear about authors talking about their work, they they often do it in that almost first person perspective of well, I gotta figure it out. I gotta I don't know like I don't know what's gonna happen yet. I don't know the answer to this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know these people like I know. That's-
1: you may have like the circumstances that you've put your character in, but you really don't know what's going to happen until you know how your character will react to whatever stimulus. Is tossed at them and it's it's kind of like that we were talking about star wars uh when we were doing our little warm-up and um it's kind of like you would not expect han solo to react like luke skywalker mm. and if you didn't know han <laughs> as a character then you might try to force him to react like luke skywalker and that's that's just not going to work so when you build your circumstances or you have a plot point then it's all going to depend on how your character reacts to it how things go forward you may still know how you want the plot to turn out but you know how are you going to get the character there and that's what's important to me it's it's not the it's not the plot it's it's what happens to the character along the way and the character growth and which is why sometimes i if it's something i want to just shut my brain down and watch a good action movie where the character doesn't change where there is no you know, it's like a static character arc is what they're called. Um, I love those, like the Indiana Jones movies or or even kind of like John Wick to an extent, because John has does change, you know, he comes back to himself or whatever. But that's a great way for me to just turn off my brain and enjoy some entertainment. Otherwise, if it's something where there is all that character arc, I'm just like so in it. Mm-hmm and trying to figure it out. And then I can get myself in trouble because I'll inevitably look at the person beside me and go, yeah, this is gonna happen. <laughs> and then, you know, it either does or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, sometimes I get angry. But yeah, for me, it's just, it's all about what that, what that person's going to do. So I do, I have to get to know them.
0: So I wanna go back and talk about what you said about likability, because I think that's a very interesting concept
1: I don't like likability. You don't
0: like likability. What what is it about likability you don't like?
1: Well, this is just it. And and this is one of the things. When I was, you know, I I still am traditionally published. uh, So New York published. And when I was writing romance, there was, uh, I would get this a lot. Like, your hero's not being particularly likable right now. And I'm like, no, he's being an ass. Like, he's a person. Like, what are you you talking about? He's upset. Well, he's just not acting very heroic. And I'm like, no, he's not. And then they will be like, change it. And... And yeah, it was very much like having to write a likable character. Mm-hmm. Readers aren't going to like him. Readers aren't going to like her. And I, and you know, to be honest, my my reaction was like, I don't care. And that's when I realized maybe something weird was going on because I was just really more concerned about writing an authentic person. So I don't care if a character's likable. Some of my favorite characters aren't likable. Your characters have to be relatable. That's the thing. You can make a, the most vile character. And if you can still make somebody relate to them, then you've done your job. You know, and those are the villains that you love to hate. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how many you know how many people love Vader? why do people love vader they don't love vader because he cut off luke's hand well they might they don't you know they love vader because he redeemed himself in the end i will even go out on a limb and we can have the save this conversation for another day because i haven't watched all of the newer movies but i'm like it's why kylo ren doesn't work
0: because he does i will spoiler i will say there is a bit of a redemption arc in the last movie but 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 his motivation for wanting to be
1: like his granddad just didn't for me in the first one right i'm like what are you doing Anyway, please, no Star Wars haters.
0: <laughs> don't I don't think you've said the worst thing about the Star Wars franchise on this podcast. I think I still might hold that oh, uh, for okay. dissing some of the side characters that everybody loves.
1: Um, when you, when I heard your first, I think it was your first episode when you guys talked about the clones. Yeah. I so wish I could have called in. <laughs> <laughs> Because like some, so many times through that, I was like, yes, yes, they were their own people. They were given their own, in, they gave themselves their own individuality. And I thought that was just so brilliant of the, of the makers of that show, how they did that. But anyway, back to likability. I mean, Han Solo is not necessarily a likable guy. Fair. He's lovable. Yes. He's not likable. And he's, and you ask a lot of people, I and mean, an awful lot of people that come back and say Han's one of their favorite characters. Or Landa, right, um, is one of their favorite characters. So, I mean, even Yoda is not completely likable.
0: No, they have flaws. But let's, so then what is a likable character in that traditional sense? Because it seems from what you're saying, a likable character relies a bit more on traditional and sometimes problematic stereotypes. Charlie Brown is a likable character. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that kind of thing. He's just a nice dude. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he's not going to hold your attention unless you're trying to do something really terrible to him, Uh, which generally is his friends. You know, it's generally Lucy trying to do something terrible to poor old Charlie Brown. A likable character is just somebody who's just like a nice person all the time. And we like nice people in real life and want to be surrounded by likable people in real life. Because we don't need all this conflict and drama in our real life. Fair. In fiction, you want somebody who's going to hold interest or, yeah, or be relatable. You and I talked about the show, The Boys. Mm. Homelander is not a likable character. Homelander shouldn't even be a relatable character. But the writers make him relatable. And that's when he gets interesting. I think Thomas Harris did this with Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. should not be a likable character. And he's not a likable character, but he's a fascinating one.
0: Let's talk about the difference between relatable and fascinating. Where yep. where do they intersect?
1: Relatable, obviously, is someone who, something they say, something they do, and you have a moment within yourself that it's like, oh, that's what I would have done, or I have done that, or I would feel the same. And then fascinating is somebody who does or says something that just appeals to that maybe a more base part of you
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like for example with hannibal he's not easy for most of us to relate to but then there is something about that um, i think just being able to easily you know to dispose or get rid of people who annoy you there's something attractive about that or something you know that apply um appeals to our i think it would be the would it be the id of being able to do whatever you want
0: Mm -hmm that sounds right it's been a while
1: yeah right it's been a long, Been longer for me sweetheart um and i i think that's kind of it that Lecter does what he wants and we find that fascinating because he doesn't live by the same rules that the rest of us do so he's a way for us to explore that dark side of humanity or um, explore what it would be like to not play by the rules without actually having to break them ourselves. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, my husband, the former psych major, is nodding at
0: me. <laughs> as he walks. I see the the shadow of Steve in the background.
1: Oh, oh, he brought up. Okay. He just brought up somebody awesome. Sherlock Holmes. You cannot relate to Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Kind of Right, like if you do relate to Sherlock Holmes, you're either a genius or you think you're one. So he's he's hard to relate to, but he fascinates us because of that, because he is so smart and his brain is able to go places. Yeah, um, and also he's just so bad with people.
0: You know, <laughs> I mean that's relatable.
1: Yes, awkwardness.
0: I, I like social awkwardness runs in my veins, so like I, I relate to that. <laughs>
1: I just don't say that because I just think you're so adorable. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, um, but that would make you a relatable character mm-hmm. and, and also greatly enhance your likability. Um, I know I've been talking a lot about serial killers, no. but also the character of Dexter, and I'm talking TV because I haven't read the books.
0: From, sorry, from the Dexter show. Yeah. Okay, for I, I, my younger Nickelodeon brain is thinking Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, did they? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, was it michael c hall who played him oh i don't remember
1: uh, played dexter in the tv show um they they did something interesting because normally he as a uh, psychopath would not be a relatable character but they made him relatable in that there was something inside him he was fighting against mm-hmm. and i find that very interesting and then they also turned that on their head his head or on its head it made him fascinating in the fact that he was then taking down people like him yeah so there's something interesting about that going against your own kind and i'm making air quotes and then also still being relatable when the person shouldn't feel relatable and then mm-hmm. i said that to you they do that with homelander uh some in the boys like there are moments where you're
0: just sort of like oh i actually feel for him and that's what it seems like it's about moments Moments. about finding those moments in each character to say there's more to this person than what you're seeing yeah. now.
1: And there's nothing I love more than some of those weird characters that go along so long and you're like okay he's an ass he's an ass he's an ass <gasps> oh my god he just I don't know saved a puppy or you find out that he's got like I'll make a reference glee. Yeah. There was the gym teacher. Oh, the Jane Lynch character. And she was such an ass. And then you find out about her sister and how much she loves her sister. And that was just such a wonderful thing. And you have that moment where you see her vulnerability, you see her humanity, and then she goes goes back to being a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) I love those. And um, what the peanut gallery mentioned to me before he finally went upstairs was uh, from the video game Borderlands 2, handsome jack handsome jack is a horrible horrible villain but handsome jack has the best line and something that i love to stick with in my writing is that he thinks he's the hero Mm. and that's what you have to do with every character because every character every real person is the hero of their own story and you can make the most compelling villain ever if he believes or she believes that what they're doing is correct
0: and right it feels like some of it's to a reminder that we, as as humans, I think, tend to try to stereotype. We tend to try to classify, and you know, it's not something that's wrong. If you see a fast moving object, you classify it as a thing to move out of the way from. Doesn't matter like what it actually is. You're know you going to get startled whether that fast-moving object is someone running to hug you or someone running to tackle you.
1: I think you did it to yourself earlier when you talk about you being socially awkward. I think perhaps at times you are capable of being socially awkward and at times you feel you are socially awkward. But when I look at you, (laughs) the advantage of being like, I don't want to say how many years older than you... (laughs) I can look at you and also point out moments where you have been completely socially capable, socially charming, socially exceptional.
0: Well, you're too sweet.
1: I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. No, I'll take that. But, but even though you're saying that, okay, yes, some I have my times when I can be a very lovely person. I also have murder fantasies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that why you're a writer, to get those out?
1: very dark corner of my brain. I'm human. And so that's just it. Nobody is completely likable. Those unlikable.
0: things can be very disconcerting, though. The the moments of likability for characters. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded, I haven't finished the third season, but Man in the High Castle.
1: Yes. I don't know. I forget what season we're on, but yes. Make- and
0: there's the character John Smith, you know, a, a real old-fashioned Americana, but he is like one of the leaders of the American Nazi Party. Right, that's um, Rufus
1: Sewell, right? That plays pardon? Him? Rufus Sewell that plays him?
0: Yeah, Rufus uh, Sewell or Sewell.
1: Sewell or something like that. Brilliant actor, brilliant. And yes, I'd love that you bring him up because you have moments with him, don't you?
0: And there's moments, yeah, he loves his kids. He's willing to break the rules he to try to save his kid.
1: He believes he's right. And he believes he's right. Yeah, and for me, one of the most compelling characters on there was the uh, older Japanese man.
0: Yeah, Tagomi, uh, Minister Tagomi, I believe he was a minister, uh, played by, Carrie uh, T- uh, Tagawa.
1: Yeah, so it wasn't like what's her face there, the main character even that was so fascinating for me. It was the the guy she got mixed up with there, whose father was actually high up in the Nazi Party. Um, I found him fascinating because of the struggle that he seemed to be having, you know. Uh, within himself, and and those are the things that I find appealing. And one of the best things you can do to me is like, if you can make me feel for somebody that I normal that goes against everything I morally stand for, uh, I'm gonna hug you, and and then probably you know wanna in the that dark corner of my head wanna punch you in the face. But yeah. that's what's that's what's brilliant, and and what I aspire to do at some point, you know hopefully someday it was, I would love to write that character where somebody looks at them and goes they're morally repugnant and I still feel for them
0: it's and, something that uh, I think that show did very well is it showed all of the characters even the main character no one was good they were all really willing to do terrible things to stop the people they thought were more terrible than them
1: yeah and that I love that I love that give me a morally gray character any day and i will have so much fun uh, i didn't watch a lot of breaking bad mm-hmm. but i think that's that's also part of it like i did watch the first episode and you know here you see this man who is sick and got this diagnosis and mocked by his students and of course who's not going to root for him taking some of his power back yeah and and doing what he can yeah there's that but like the perfect character nobody wants to Nobody wants to read about a perfect character.
0: I think what compelling characters can do is serve as a reminder that while these characters, these actions might be bad, and the characters might be morally, ethically, or legally bad, Mm. it is a reminder that in almost every case, there is humanity behind it Mm. that is causing them to be that way. Whether yeah. or not that's justified is a different question, but there's an authenticity to that at the and very Lord least. That's
1: why *The Lord of the Rings was not about Aragorn or Arwen. It's about Frodo, this flawed little dude who's just trying his hardest. Yeah. You know, Aragorn, well, he's just too good. He's going to do the right thing no matter what. Well, there's no conflict in that. Boromir... Yeah. Now we got some action going. We've got some conflict if it's Boromir, but not, um, but not Aragorn, not Legolas, uh, not even Gimli, you know, really it it had to be more of the the hobbits, the more the vulnerable kind of, you know, and and who at first glance seemed to be like these just shining little apples of humanity kind of thing, right? Like, oh, they're such good people. Uh, But you know you needed frodo's doubt and you know that's that's why stories pick those characters as and and some of those really good ones are are left uh, on the sidelines to be mentors or
0: yeah it uh, seems there's we had this relationship and this balance between this concept of likability this concept of relatability uh and this concept of authenticity that all kind of merge and mix as you're developing and creating these characters and getting the outside influences from the editors telling you to change certain parts. Uh, so there's a balance between the three. How do you, how do you juggle that?
1: I do what they tell me uh, <laughs> times, um, or it, it, it depends if it's something I feel really strongly about. If I really feel really strongly about it, then I'll fight for it um, because ultimately it's, it's my intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Names going on it, um, but sometimes it, you know if it's gonna be a breaking point, well then sometimes you just have to give in or pick your battles, or I try to find a way to still do it in a way I want to do it, but maybe take it down a notch. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes it is hard when you have somebody telling you, you know, and and I don't blame editorial because the job of editorial is to make the book as appealing as it can be to the broadest audience because they want to sell a lot of books. They want, you know, I want to sell a lot of books, but I'm, I find as I get older now, I'm getting more and more like, eh, I just really want to write what I want to write. And uh, maybe somebody will find it and like it. Mm. So I'm getting more interested in those, in those gray characters. Because I do think there is an awful lot of us, if you look at what's available to us on, um, it, or what's been popular even the last five years, and gaining in popularities, I think that's what viewers and readers want. They want people that are more accessible. They want to watch the struggle. They want to watch the conflict. Perfect people don't have struggle. Perfect people don't have conflict. Uh, It's like that old adage, you know, people watch like some of these shows to watch beautiful people fail, (laughs) you know, because we're all just, if you pardon the expression, we're all just assholes in 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 a
0: way. You know,
1: so um, that's why we love tabloids and internet gossip sites and things like that. Well, we love to hear horrible things about celebrities.
0: The relatability in failure.
1: In failure, the satisfaction in failure, because there's somebody that you look at as, you know, perhaps being better than yourself. When I can't, you know, we're all just in this together. And can you imagine anybody who might be more vulnerable in a lot of ways. And somebody whose very career is based on what they look like, Um, you know, and all their, all their worth is hung up on that. You know, you can do so many interesting things with that as, as well. I, I did a chat the other night and, and we were talking about theme and somebody brought up the, you know, theme of what it is to be a monster, which got me so very excited because that's one of my, <laughs> my, My favorite themes is what that whole idea of, of being monstrous, because usually it's, you know, humans are more monstrous than anything supernatural. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I love to work within, within that as well. Yeah. uh, I think you just take, I don't know. It's just so fun to take something and turn it upside down or someone, you Mm. know, and, and make them different than what people expect or to explore the vulnerability
0: of them like vulnerability that's a good word pit is vulnerable about so let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit for this uh, final segment and let's let's talk about character development sure you have these characters you start building this relationship with them trying to figure out who they are how one of the things i look for in stories personally and i find attractive in stories is character development. I don't like staticity. Like I liked seeing that change. Like the character arc. Yeah. yeah. Where, where does that fit into your writing and where do you think new writers, especially those starting NanoRimo this month, where should they look for development in their characters?
1: Okay. So first of all, in terms of character arc, you either have a positive arc, a static arc, or a negative arc. Basically in simplistic terms, what that means is in a positive arc, your character starts off with a lack of something and by the end of the book has become a better person or is in a better situation. Static arc is that your character is exactly the same at the end as they were in the beginning. And a negative arc would be a character that starts off in a semi-good place or, or in a good place and ends up decimated <laughs> or mm-hmm. dead. So those are your, your negative kind of things. Um, and I don't even, I don't, when I say dead, that can still be a positive arc because that can be a redemption kind of thing. So... I'll say then a character that ends up destroyed uh, or in a much worse position. But to get your character there, it's not just dependent on the plot or the actions of the story. So when you set out to write a character, it's not just what you're going to do to them. It's how they're going to react to things and how they go into it. So what I do is there's this thing called GMC and it's goal, motivation, and conflict. And this is a very easy way to kind of keep your character on track so every character that you write should have this goal motivation and conflict and there is an internal and an external now it sounds very complicated but the internal is just sort of like what your character needs and may not know let's say you have a character who was an orphan uh, and and raised by a succession of strangers then probably what they want is unconditional love Mm. you know and that could be something that they need They need to be loved for who they are. or They need to be shown this compassion and love. So that's the goal. And the motivation is quite simply because they've never had it. And then what's the conflict? Like what's stopping them from getting this unconditional love? Well, nine times out of 10, it's them. And and something that they need to change themselves. So there's your art. It's like, how does your character go from being somebody who feels they don't deserve love to being somebody who feels like they do? So that's what you got to do with your character internally. Externally is what's going on around them or to them. Now, when people talk about external goals, it's usually like they want possession of something, i.e. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant. They want revenge for something, i.e. the killing of their dog. <laughs> or they want to escape or they want relief from something, So, i.e. being haunted by a malevolent spirit or something. Mm. and so why do they again so that's the goal why do they want it why does john wick want revenge for the killing of his dog because it was all he had left of his wife and what's the conflict and then you know the conflict is that is well it's this huge russian crime lord you know um that he's going up against or you got luke skywalker and luke wants to i mean luke has a lot of different things that kind of change in the course of it but luke wants to know about his father wants to know about his legacy you know what that he's got this you know he feels like he's supposed to be something more well why does he want it yes because he feels like he's supposed to be something more because he wants that connection you know to his father well what's the conflict well his father's supposed to be dead
0: (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) Yes, spoilers, the big spoiler.
1: Daddy's not dead. Daddy's one of the biggest villains in the in the galaxy.
0: In the history of cinema.
1: Yes. And my eighth grade Halloween costume. <laughs> or fourth grade Halloween costume. So that's just it. Like your your character has to has to have this goal, something they want. Harry Potter wants to become a wizard. I mean, maybe. Like when he's that little, does does he really know what he wants to be? Um, why? Because it's You know, his family was or whatever, but what's in his way? Well, Voldemort, like that's, that's your, you know, your external conflict. It's, it's usually um, a person or a thing or an organization kind of thing that's standing in the way, something that you can physically fight against. Mm -hmm. And the internal conflict is something that must be personally fought against with, like, within your own belief system. And then when you, when you've got that then that gives you all those building blocks, like you know where your character has to go. And so I often think of the character arc as being that internal motivation for any story. And then the external stuff is more of the plot. It's how, it's the, the plot, The ex, is all the steps your character takes to get from one where they begin to where they end so then the two just kind of intertwine like a like a helix and works towards it but i i do not believe you can have a compelling plot without having you know your character have reasons for doing everything they do
0: yeah i I mean that's a that's one of the basic theater tenants uh depending on the discipline of theater is that motivation why does he want this so bad (laughs) right and that's just it. That is the basis of storytelling. There needs to be motivation, stake, a reason, as you say. Like, it's that weird mix of, because in, in life, I would argue, there's some things that just happen, and you just got to do it. And, like, the motivation is very limited. But in story, there is that tendency to really make a reason behind the event or the mo- motivation.
1: Because, if, you know it would be boring. We we don't want to read about somebody who has to take an exam and he doesn't want to study for it. Unless unless that person's like, I've got an exam in the morning and then he gets arrested the night before, then there's a problem. Especially if this exam determines whether or not he's going to get some kind of, I don't know, scholarship or pass or fail or get kicked out of his class or Mm. what, you know then then we've got something to root for you know there needs to be that conflict and that either sets the character i guess the, the, the even more simplistic way to put it would be your external conflict sets your character against something or someone else and the internal conflict sets your character against themselves
0: and in that there's the growth there's the development for the facing those challenges
1: yeah either for better or for worse yeah I mean, you can take a character that's completely, you know, like I, I would say almost like, I don't know if American Psycho has that kind of thing, but I definitely think, you know, a character starts off and then just kind of spirals. Right? <laughs> and, and there's that, like you can definitely do that with a character and just have them kind of spiral towards destruction. And I have noticed there seems to be, it, this is what fascinates me is because usually when things are rough and we're having some turmoil in the world, people turn towards fantasy. And they turn towards romance they want that other world or they want that what they know is going to be the happy ending right and i'm seeing an awful lot of like epidemic and pandemic books come out right now and i'm finding this fascinating because it's almost like people are actually wanting to read about an alternate
0: an alternate ending to reality
1: (laughs) They they need to read about somebody that's in this uh, kind of situation, but it comes out. And I find that very interesting that that's become sort of a factor because normally I would just be like, okay, now's a really good time to start writing romantic comedies, guys, <laughs> or light fantasy, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's that's been fascinating to me.
0: But... Well, I think that's a, a good place to, to wrap it up. I don't. I want to know
1: uh, some of your <laughs> favorite characters before we go. And some we- of my
0: favorite characters.
1: I want to know. I want to know your top three favorite characters in either cinema or fiction.
0: Oh God, that's hard. I'm not good with favorites. I'm right. really, I'm really not good. But your favorites, like, I... you don't have to be top. Like, just
1: pick out some ones that you really like, most memorable, most relatable, whatever. Look, you do.
0: Looking at the entire body of work of Star Wars. Cause I'm going to start there. Cause there is someone who is like, I, I would say Obi-Wan Kenobi. Cause it let's, let's talk about character development. Let's talk about authenticity. Let's, you know, talk about likability versus, you know, um, having to make those real choices. That is a character that I think you can just empathize with so much. And the more you watch of him, the more you realize how much shit he's had to go through yeah. in his life.
1: And how much of himself he's actually fighting against. Yeah. And how much sacrifice he's made.
0: I will say uh, there's there's a special place in my heart, um, uh mm-hmm. for the person Doug Jones, uh, who plays Saru on Discovery.
1: Mm-hmm. Because he was uh Abe Sapien. Uh he was in
0: uh, when is he wasn't he when the gentleman on Buffy? Uh I think he had a part on Buffy. I don't remember. I mean he was- he, he had parts like anything he was was yeah. pretty much in uh in makeup. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's done uh, Hellboy, he's done Hocus Pocus, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, he's played a part in that. Yep. And then most recently, Star Trek Discovery as Saru. Um, the actor, Doug Jones, if you're listening, I love you. Um, he does, he I really does love you. <laughs> I met him very briefly at Dublin Comic Con when I was studying abroad in Ireland. Cool. And I, I, it was like the perfect timing to like his navel though. Did you? Cause isn't he like eight feet tall or something? He's oh, it, the, the photo is hilarious. Cause he's bending, he's bending down and he's resting his hands on my head to put his chin over on like to kind sure of I've like stack that himself that on top too. of me. I'm sure I've seen that picture, but
1: you may have to send it to me cause that just sounds too adorable.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's a wonderful, like I, it was one of my favorite moments. Cause it just so happened. I was walking by and I never do the autograph stuff at cons. I don't either. Because the lines just take up so much time. There's always so many people, but just randomly, the line was empty. And I had just come by at the perfect time. And so I, I, I was like, am I going to do this? Am I, is this what I'm going to spend 40 euro on? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like,
1: I, that I didn't meet Peter Miehu when I had the chance. Yeah, I'm glad you
0: did it. And he was, I mean, just such a nice person, really caring, uh, very huggy. And I appreciated that because I'm a huggy person too. Um, I have
1: to him a million questions about Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> and like, like for Guillermo's uh, phone number, you know, like you know, <laughs> work together, sir, you know, that kind of thing.
0: And then, uh, it, yeah, it was like it lasted a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. And it was just an, like it was the highlight of the of the con for me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Kate. Where so can people uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your works?
1: Oh, OK, well, I'm, I'm in the process of getting a new website, but uh, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram as AlterKates, A-L-T-E-R-K. A T E S. And you can find me, uh, find me on there and, um, yeah. Come say hi.
0: Indeed. Go say hi. She's wonderful. She's amazing. Yeah. Go buy my books. (laughs) Buy her books. This (laughs) month is celebrating writers. Buy their books, buy their art. Thank you for watching this episode of Ad Nerdium. As always, you can subscribe to the radio free George, SoundCloud, and Spotify to stay up to date on the latest episodes. Uh, if you want to keep track of what we're doing and all things Ad Nerdium news, uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Ad Nerdium Pod. If you have questions you want to be answered at the end of the month during our next stasis chamber, give us an e- uh, send us an email at Ad Nerdium Pod at gmail.com. There's a theme here, people. Um, As always, I am Patrick. And I'm Kate, of many names. (laughs) Thanks for watching, everybody. Live long and prosper. Thank you for watching this episode of Adnerdium, brought to you by Radio Free George. Be sure to subscribe to the Radio Free George SoundCloud and Spotify for the latest episodes follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod for all the latest updates on adnerdium shows and news submit questions for our next stasis chamber at adnerdiumpod at gmail.com